You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run Walsh. If it's first and 10, Walsh. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Chiefs' kingdom, welcome into the latest episode of the Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. It is Ron Cobb Jr., the lead analyst at the site. I'm usually joined by my guy, Matt Stagner, but you know, wild card weekend, a little victory, Ricky Monday. I decided to bring on Caleb James, my guy at CJ Scoobs on Twitter, uh, coming in. We're both fresh off our, our a trip to Arrowhead, so I, I felt it was only right, Caleb. Uh, you know, I actually, I got to say, I got to say, Stags is in Mexico, so shout out Stags. You know, it, it wasn't... Uh, you know, it, it wasn't forced. You know, he's he's having a good time right now, enjoying enjoying a little better weather than we are in Kansas City. But Caleb, have you thought out from Saturday night the Chiefs win over the Dolphins? I think I have at this point, but man, it was cold, and I don't think uh, you know, I don't think you could have. I don't think there was such thing as wearing too many layers out there on uh, on Saturday night. Man, I had on the Carhartts, my bibs. I had on my Chiefs coat from the 1990s. I had on all the layers, the base layers, hats, face mask, anything I could get my hands on, two pairs of gloves, you know, hand warmers in my boots. I, I went all out for it, man. That was, uh, that's just, that's not only one of the coldest games I've ever been to. You know, I spend a lot of time outdoors. That's just some of the coldest environment I've ever been in in general. I, it's got to be one of the coldest days in the history of Kansas City. And it was, it was nuts out there, though, as yeah, far actually, as temperature. Yeah, I think Sunday morning I, I saw some tweet that KCI it was they hit like the the coldest wind chill they've they've had since like the 80s or something in Kansas City. So I, you're right. I mean, it wasn't just Arrowhead history; it was Kansas City history. Yeah, it was it was worth it though. That was the one thing I kept telling the people I was going with the people that were waffling back and forth whether they wanted to go. It'll be worth it because these Chiefs are going to come out and handle. I mean. The Dolphins from Miami, right? Like they just, it was just going to be tough for them uh, to come in and play in this kind of temperature, play in this kind of cold. But, you know, I, I had a feeling Chiefs were going to come out, uh, you know, and, and play well. And that was why it was worth, you know, like you said, the, the hand warmers in the boots was a clutch idea. That's, I, I did that too. It was, it came in very clutch. Uh, you know, no skin exposed. If, if you didn't want to look like Andy Reid with the mustache, I mean, I don't know. Hey, I don't know how Andy did that. Honestly, like that was one of the most impressive things, knowing that he was going the whole game without a face mask, without neck covering. He was just hanging it out there. I don't know. I was I was kind of worried about him going into this game. Like I wasn't worried about us. I wasn't worried about the fans. I was worried about Andy, like just standing on that sideline, just hanging out. And 
Like he was just he was cool. Like I don't know. That's a man, dude. That's Andy's the a dog. Like I don't know. That's that's all I gotta say. He he handled it a little bit better than Mike McDaniel's did because <laughs> yeah. he, he had on the face. I mean, he had on the whole ski suit and as warm a clothes as he possibly could. Andy didn't even have gloves on for part of the game. He was just out there with his play sheet trying to make his calls. But I mean, I guess that's just kind of the mentality, though, between I mean, you got Andy probably had to pull from the Green Bay days a little bit. He probably had to remember some of those cold games That's up true. there in Lambeau when he was the He's OC. Got some experience. Well, he was the OC up there. But I mean, yeah. Did you guys like do any tailgating though? No, 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 no. We went, we went pretty much straight in. We, we, uh, we got there and went straight in and hung out in the stadium. But uh, I saw some people tailgating. Shout out anyone who who made the made the effort to tailgate, actually hang out, do your regular thing outside um i don't know did you did you do any of that uh we we tailgated at char bar before the yeah, game went in there warmed up with a little with a little plate of barbecue got ready to go we rolled up at like 5 30 5 45 and we were walking into the stadium by 6 20 and yes man it was uh you know, just getting in there, though, seeing all the people. I was, like, talking to so many people, and they said it was, like, their first game. So, you know, the ticket prices dropped drastically. But just seeing all those people be able to come out for a, their first playoff game, to see a Mahomes playoff game that they might not have had a chance to go to, that was a pretty cool aspect to going out there to the game this week. Yeah, no, exactly. I was That's what I was hoping for. And shout-out guys like B-Turn on Twitter. He actually ended up sitting uh, sitting next to me uh, in Arrowhead. But he was he was dishing out seats. Uh, the people that weren't willing to go or, or just had extra seats, you know, because they couldn't sell them. He was dishing them out, and he got a ton of people to Arrowhead for the first time. So shout out B Turn for sure, and shout out anyone who who made it uh, made the the, the trip um, because it was worth it again, right? Because this team went out on the field, won twenty six seven, pretty much put a whooping on Miami from start to finish, right? Like there was the one Tyree kill play, and you know that was kind of like, oh my gosh, really, like. Tyreek's about to do that but that was really it Caleb like besides that like it really was just a butt whooping from start to finish like I don't know we're just how did you feel what were your just what are your initial thoughts from the game after just kind of taking down the Dolphins and honestly you know actually before we even get into that Caleb I should say we are sitting here Monday evening we did just see the the Bills beat the Steelers so maybe we should start with that before we get into the game and, and kind of preface with we're going to Buffalo we're, 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 we're the Chiefs are going to Buffalo um the Bills beat the Steelers. So maybe I should ask you that first kind of, you know, what you saw um, from that game. Like, are you, are we feeling good about heading to Buffalo right now? First road game of the Mahomes era and the NFL gets the divisional matchup they want. It's going to be another one versus the Chiefs and Bills. Third time they've met in the playoffs since 2020. And man, these games, the Chiefs have gotten the better of them in the playoffs. They've gotten the better of the Chiefs in the regular season this year and last my thing is, though, the Bills have been in playoff mode for a while, though. They've had to win ever since they came to Arrowhead, and that's what kind of sparked their life. And in some yeah. ways, that's kind of why the Chiefs are having to go travel to Buffalo this week instead of maybe being able to play a oh, home yeah. game at Arrowhead. But there's no better time than the president for Mahomes to get his first road game out of the way. There's going to be a lot of you know pundits saying the Chiefs can't win this week because it's a road game. And I'd, I'd go check Mahomes' road splits. If we're going to do that, I know it's the playoffs. I know it's going to be a different atmosphere. Looks like it's going to be cold in Buffalo, a little bit dry. But, I mean, the Steelers just hung with the Bills. 
they just hung with them for a little bit. They made some big plays. The Bills have some injury issues the Steelers took advantage of. And really, if it wasn't for some turnovers or some foolishness from the Steelers early in the game, it could have been a tie game headed you know, into the last minutes of the fourth quarter there. Yeah, no, Buffalo went up 21-0 uh, quickly. But yeah, they, Pittsburgh got it to 21-10. Um, got it, got it closer, uh, you know, even than that. And, uh, and yeah, I couldn't pull it off necessarily, but, but no, definitely, definitely an interesting game just because you mentioned it being the third edition of the playoff, uh, matchups between these two. It's also the one with the most pressure for Buffalo, honestly, like you talk about the four, you know, the 13 second game, you know, obviously the bills felt like maybe it was that it was their year that year. And that felt disappointing, but this is three years later now, two years later, uh, yeah, two years later, and you know, with with what they've had going on this season, where you've had your off offensive coordinator get fired uh, mid season, you know, Sean McDermott's been on the hot seat at times, even though you've had this hot stretch down the, down the stretch of the year. I don't know, man. It's there's a lot of pressure on Buffalo to win this game, and on the flip side, like as much as the Chiefs have pressure to to win at all times, like they're playing with a little bit of house money, just being the defending champs being the team that can say, look, we've already won this thing twice. Like if it's not our year, it's not our year. Obviously not saying that's going to affect the player's effort, but I think, I think that does factor into the bills mentality a little bit, being kind of having that pressure to, to get it done this year, or they're really in, 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 a, in, you know, back into a corner, losing three playoff games to the chiefs. I don't know. Is there anything to that you think? I mean, I definitely think there's, you know, some added pressure to Buffalo, like you said, you know, in 2020, they were kind of the underdog. The, you know, people still picked them to win, but the Chiefs were still superior in every facet. 2021, definitely more of a toss-up, literally. But, you know, they thought they had the game won, and Patrick Mahomes did something that only he can do. And, you know, this year coming into it, the Bills coaching staff is, you know, fired. They have a lot of money locked up into a lot of guys, and the yeah. Chiefs are kind of like in this reset after they win a championship to where – you saw the emergence of one guy, Rashi Rice, throughout the course of the season, and it feels like they've just been building with their young pieces. So in a lot of ways, I think you're right. There is a lot of pressure on the Bills right now just from looking at, like, their contracts, their roster, and, you know, they, you know they're firing their coaches at midseason. The Chiefs didn't really do anything like that drastically. They kind of have rallied around each other, if anything. Yeah, Exactly. And you kind of said it there, like if the Chiefs were able to to pull this off again in a resetting, you're kind of a, you know, kind of regrouping year. And in and, and a year where Buffalo, you know, they were prime. They had the Super Bowl banners in the practice facility. Everyone remember that. And, and you know, I don't know if they still do or not, but uh, but they're eyeing that trophy. And it'd be it'd be very sweet if the Chiefs uh, once again spoiled that for, for Buffalo. And so we'll get into that a little more at the end of the podcast because we got a little we can dive into that matchup a little more. I mean, we got it's, it's locked in now. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, which is exciting. But but let's go, let's look back because you know the Chiefs Dolphins game was very exciting, not just because of of the memorable temperatures. Uh, it was it was also just a, a very very good performance by the Chiefs on the field. Uh, a lot of things to be excited about, um, but also a lot of things to nitpick and a lot of things to think about as, as we got two more games off in these AFC playoffs potentially. And so let's kind of get into the Insta breakdown. Um, that's kind of the article we do in the post game. Uh, you usually help me with it. I usually uh, do it for the site. Obviously this week we we're both at the game, so it was a little different, but you know, it's, it's just a way for, to break down the game. And we'll start on offense because my offensive player of the game, when I wrote it up was Rasheed Rice, the wide receiver. 
And he did just have an insane day for a rookie in his first postseason game in this temperatures. You know, he said he's never played in a game that cold. And just being the outlet that he was for Mahomes, you know, constantly making big catches, constantly moving the chains. Um, you know, Rice was my guy, was was the the highlight of the day for me. What what stood out to you on offense, or, or was it just Rice kind of stealing the show for you too? Rice definitely stole the show, but uh, I'll go with Trey Smith. And Ooh, yeah. that was because they just kind of came out, the offensive line came out, and, you know, the running game was here or there. You know, it was what it was. It was a cold game, you know, you kind of figure that it's going to be kind of slow, you know, slow sledding anyway in a lot of the facets. The pass protection was good all game, but what Trey Smith was doing was setting the attitude out there. And what I mean by that is he was finishing, you know, some pretty decent defensive line guys for the Dolphins, you know, like Christian Wilkins. He was finishing them. They were getting a lot of movement up front. They were keeping Mahomes clean and letting him scramble all night long. But in between – in between a lot of these plays, you know, the offense is going to go off the field. They're going to uh, – the offense, you know, goes off the field during the media time. I said, do all that. Smith didn't really leave the field. He just yeah. kind of go out there and stand where the huddle's going to be at while everyone else is getting warm. And he was pretty much just staring down the Dolphins' sideline and their defense as they came into the field. I mean, he was in the zone. He came out and was ready to go, kind of setting the tone for what kind of game that was going to be. And – they, it really, he really did. The Dolphins didn't want to tackle as the game kind of got going. You know, they were struggling to wrap guys up. Where she Rice was, you know, getting some of those plays where he's holding guys up and the offensive lines running 10 yards, creating more push. Clyde had that one run where I think he got pushed an extra five yards after the contact yeah. stood him up. And that was just kind of what kind of game that was. You know, the Chiefs just kind of, I thought they just came out and they just kind of out physical them from the start in every facet. And I thought a lot of that started with Smith. Yeah, no, Trey Smith definitely deserves a big shout out. Um, honestly, he could have been offensive player of the game just with how he set the tone right away, like you mentioned. I mean, right off the bat from the opening drive, um, you saw the run game, honestly, probably be its most effective on the opening drive. I think they got like 30 something of, of the 80 yards um, on that first possession. And you saw right away, actually, I, I hadn't tweeted it yet, but I, I'm going to have a clip where on three consecutive handoffs, they had three different styles of runs. They had a power run, uh, they had a counter run, and then they had the traditional outside zone run. And each run was a, a successful carry um, set. And the last one was that, that you know, pretty big chunk run that, that set up the touchdown drive or the touchdown on that first drive. And yeah, it started with those inside guys just setting the tone on those down blocks or just just washing guys out, um, you know, because it was Creed, too. And it was Joe Tooney, you know, as well. But Trey was really it, it was hilarious just seeing him just stand out there freezing cold by himself. There's no you got no players around him blocking the wind, you know, in those timeouts and those breaks. He's just staring down the Dolphins looking at him. It was that was fun to see in the stadium. Trey's a dog kind of guy you definitely want on your team. But besides the run game, Caleb, it was also the pass protection that was that was awesome. Um, you know, really just keeping Mahomes clean for the most part. You know, really, you know, giving him time to to go through his progressions. To and even when they blitzed, right? Like there was a lot of great blitz pickups. You know, shout out Clyde. He had a, he had a really good one at one point. Um, he just swallowed the guy up. So it really wasn't just the the run game. I think the offensive line just balled out. And obviously the Dolphins had some injuries, but. But yeah, I don't know. Did you did you feel like Donovan Smith kind of came back strong? Javon Taylor kind of had a, a pretty good game. How'd you feel about the O line in general? I was pretty pleased with Donovan Smith's performance. He actually looked like he was 
rested up quite a bit. Looks like he'd had some time to kind of get his legs back underneath him. I mean, I thought Taylor was fine for the most part. The flags, again, you know, an issue in the playoffs yeah. as they were an issue in the regular season. Uh, that one's a little questionable to me on. They call it blocking the back when he's, like, get, hitting a guy still around the line of scrimmage. So I thought that was a little bit odd. I thought that well, the thing either way. The thing on that one was, like, the, there was a defender behind him, I feel like, that kind of shoved him and, like, made him more forcefully block the guy in the back. So, yeah, that was an iffy call. I will give him that. Yeah, and to be honest, that call kind of kept the Dolphins in the game a little bit because if the Chiefs had gotten that touchdown with Rice there, they'd have been off and running towards a blowout. Really, I mean, with the whole thing with the offense this week, I mean, yeah, they put up 27. They could have had 38, 40 points. I mean, there was some drops in here and there, some miscommunication down the field with uh, McCole Hardman. Kelsey dropped a few passes, too. You know, the Chiefs were smart, though. They took the points when they could. I think they were really comfortable with the way their defense was playing. So, you know, they knew they could be a little a little conservative on offense this week. But it was just a, a little bit disappointing around the red zone, I thought. Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing. We'll get into it because that is one of my, my party pooper segments is, is how they weren't finishing drives. Um, but the thing is, it, it was very close to, like, this just being a complete domination um, wall-to-wall. The two, the only two scoreless drives the Chiefs had before garbage time were both uh, three and outs that the third down play was a deep shot to McCall that didn't get complete. Now, you know, one of them was the DPI, which, or the missed DPI, I should say, which absolutely was holding or DPI. Like, there's no question about it. He should have got that call. Whether or not you can argue McCall should have ran through that route a little harder, uh, maybe tried to sell it more, you can make that argument absolutely. But one of them, yeah, he just, he just didn't see the ball until it was too late and 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 he didn't get a, a, a good enough uh track on the ball. If if those two plays, you know, become positives um because it's either a catch or the, the flag's drawn, yeah, you're talking about maybe two touchdowns and you're talking about 40 to seven just like that and Mahomes having, you know, close to 400 yards just like that. It is pretty amazing, uh Caleb, just thinking about, you know, in the negative whatever degrees Mahomes was playing in. They did not give a crap. They were they were passing the ball as much as they wanted to. I mean, obviously they ran the ball well, but they were slinging it around. Mahomes was feeling it, and again, I mean, he could have had a huge game. Um, so I don't know. Like, what'd you feel about Mahomes' overall performance? I mean, that might have been one of his best games of the season. Yeah, I definitely thought it was. He looked like he was locked in for a playoff game, and I mean, Kelsey probably left about fifty. Yeah. You know, he had seventy yards receiving. He probably left another fifty on the field there with some of the drops he had, some of the miscues. Mahomes came out slinging. He wasn't going to let the weather bother him. I mean, that was kind of like mentality from the top down. Like I mentioned Andy earlier, and then you go down to Mahomes, you know, they're not letting the, you know, cold impact how they coach or play or how, you know, or how their teammates do that stuff either. My big thing with the deep shots is at least they're trying them, man. I, I don't really I think we can even expect too much from McCole at this point, but I mean, at least they're showing stuff to where the defense is going to have to respect it. You know, those are 50, 50 yeah. balls, you know, at some point they are going to have to respect it. So they can probably loosen up things underneath for everyone else. I just, I don't really know if anyone on the chiefs roster right now is going to end up being able to make a play that far down the field. Right. And yeah, you're right. Like throwing them will, will, force the defense to respect it to an extent but if you never complete them you know they they may still just continue to give you those and and you know and then you're just wasting those opportunities by not actually 
making them, uh, you know, complete. Cause you know, I, that those two, we didn't even mention the, the one where, um, you know, McColl's running down the field. It was kind of over the middle and, you know, it just landed kind of in front of him. He wasn't able to get to it. And, you know, Hey, it's, it's hard to tell, right. It's hard to tell how close it was to him. They didn't give us a good camera angle replay, but apparently it was close enough to him. We're in the stadium. You could see, cause it was right across from where we were sitting and, and big 95 leaps up from the bench and just berates McColl from the sideline. Like just is just like yelling at him. And actually you can see on the camera uh, on the broadcast angle, you can kind of see, I tweeted this out. You can kind of see McColl uh, like look to the sideline, like, Hey, like, and kind of like put his hand down telling someone to calm down maybe. Cause I think Chris was just getting after him that hard for not going after that ball, trying to dive. And it seemed like a lot of Chiefs kingdom agreed with him. It's just so hard to tell. I, you know, I mean, what if the ball was just actually, you know, a good yard two in front of him where you just couldn't get to it? It's hard to know, but it's just something that we've always seen from McColl, and it's a constant thing, and he doesn't really earn the benefit of the doubt. So I don't know. What Did you have a, a, a hard take on that play particularly? I mean, no. He's never been that guy throughout his career. It's just he's the only guy they have that can actually run that route a little bit, and even then he doesn't finish the route very well, and the ball could have been off. But like you said, he hasn't earn the benefit of the doubt because we've also seen him like you said earlier pull up short or as soon as he gets held just throw his hands in the air instead of finishing the route and getting held even harder like tends to happen in the national football league yeah that yeah you you gotta you can't show up the ref either that is another thing and you know you you know kind of you know going all crazy before the ball's even on the ground is kind of showing up the ref because he can throw that flag all the way up till that ball is pretty much touching the ground um, so yeah, that's tough, but you're right. You know, like you said, the, the main point being willing to throw the ball deep, um, we'll, we'll see if that helps. Let's switch over to defense because the defense was just awesome. I, we mentioned at the top Tyreek, uh, you know, got the one play on an underthrown pass where, you know, he adjusted better than McDuffie did, you know, kind of shrugged off McDuffie and scored a touchdown. Hey, you know, I mean, that's Tyreek Hill. I mean, those days are going to happen, uh, especially on an underthrown ball like that, but Man, Caleb, the rest of the game was just absolute dominant. What, was there anything uh, that just stood out to you for first and foremost about how the defense played? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that pass Tua through wasn't quite right in the breadbasket. He had to kind of go look around for the ball a little bit there. But just with everything you saw in the defense, you know, like I said, the big thing was they came out with the mentality they were going to let the cold bother them, and they actually tried to beat up the Dolphins. Big thing I think that got underlooked was the Dolphins did try to start the game running the football just to build a little bit of momentum or set a little bit of tempo to where they could like just keep the ball moving steadily. Their run game was terrible. The Chiefs completely stopped them every stop of the way. Between Mostert coming back and Achan, the Chiefs, you know, they basically just tried to run that toss play outside all game. And the Chiefs just set the edge, forced it all back inside. I thought it was really impressive performances by like uh, Mike Dana, Charles Amenehu, Tershawn Wharton, Mike Pinnell, and run defense for the defensive line. Obviously, all the linebackers, safeties were involved in all that as well. And then, you know. I'll say real quick on Charles Amenehu, since you mentioned him, I saw a tweet today that he had a 25% win rate, pass rush win rate in the wild card round. Um, Just. A lot of people were saying how good of a game he had. It didn't stand out to me off the initial watch, honestly, but he's just been so good lately. I honestly, maybe that's probably why, because he's just been a consistent force. Was it 
Was it a particularly good Omenihu game to you? I thought it was. I wrote about the D-line this week, and I'm pretty sure when we do the film room at some point later on, I'll probably have the uh, I'll probably have the breakdown for Omenihue as well on there. But, I mean, I think just a big thing was the Chiefs ran a two-man pressure on a fourth-and-two play that McDuffie broke up, and Omenihue bent the edge around Teron Armstead and put pressure on Tua, forced him out of the pocket and forced him to throw. I mean, the Chiefs, I mean, he created pressure in a, you know, it was a two-man rush, and he still create, found a way to pressure Tua on what was going to be a quick quick throw and release anyway. I thought he was good, man. I thought that he put some good pressure on up the middle. Him and Chris lined up in, like, double three techniques, and instead of running, like, an in tackle twist, they were running, like, some tackle-tackle inside stunts. We haven't really seen a lot of that this year. That was a little wrinkle. I think that Spags and Colin have probably been saving here for a little bit. But, I mean, just his versatility and all the stuff he does, I thought it was another good game, even though he didn't get a sack. Yeah, right. But he had – Omenihu, I think, honestly, was the – the. I know he was the, the most pressured person on the play where Tua throws the pick. You know, yeah, uh, Tua got, had someone open. He really overthrew him. But it's because – and I've, I've said it all the time about Chris Jones, but Omenihu has the same, you know, factor where they're just such big humans that when they're rushing from the inside, rushing from the front of the pocket, they just take up so much space in the quarterback's vision, especially a guy like Tua, who's short in stature, um, can't necessarily look around a guy like that. It's going to affect them. And and that, that made him sail the throw, interception by Mike Edwards. So that was Omenihu there. Um, so shout out the DL. But man, you know, you talk about the run offense for Miami not going anywhere. I really think it was mostly because of the linebackers just just absolutely flying to the ball. Nick Bolton having a career game. I got to shout him out because had a great PFF stat that I that I found doing some research. Nick Bolton set a career high in stops, which is a tackle that constitutes a failure for the offense. PFF tracks them. So he had the most he's ever had in a game against Miami. He had eight of his ten tackles were considered a failure for the offense, meaning they either gained one or two yards or if it was like a third and short that he stuffed them. Just a great play, uh, great game by Nick Bolton, but also the other linebackers. What'd you see from them? Uh, yeah, I thought Willie Gay was outstanding all day. They had him in a lot of big spots. I thought that Leo, he did a pretty good job run stuff. And Tranquil, he didn't really play as many snaps as I as I kind of thought he would. Right, he seemed like he was a he was still pretty effective though, and what they had him. You know, just some of the stuff they had him doing, but Bolton was, you know, this was like a game built for him, honestly, the way the Dolphins had to come out and play. And as the game, you know, goes on and the Dolphins start realizing how hard it is to throw down the field in this kind of weather, and as their run game goes, the Chiefs kind of made them like a lateral pass to the flat kind of team where they're just trying to get the ball to Tyreek in a little bit of space here or there, get the ball to Waddle in space. I mean, they really lost all of their offensive rhythm by halftime. Yeah, and it's because Tua just cannot he, – he can't play out of the structure of the offense right now, well, especially in weather. Like, that's – you know, I mean, we've seen him we've seen him make plays, but it's just not – he was just hopeless. And, and, and I you know, it, it really was true. And the Chiefs off-ball defenders really took advantage of it by just flying to underneath stuff because it wasn't just the linebackers. Man, the DBs. And probably my favorite play of the game, honestly, Kayla, was when Trent McDuffie lit up Tyreek on the quick screen. Just, just, oh, man, that was nice. Uh, seeing McDuffie get another pop on Tyreek. The trade, those two were traded for each other pretty much. 
just gotta gotta love to see that. How how was did you like seeing the DBs? Was it another good game from them? I mean, Legarius obviously just bullying Tyreek. That's that's been fun to see on Twitter uh, these social media clips, huh? Yeah, and you know when you're at the point of the game where you know Mike McDaniel's magic run scheme doesn't work anymore because their offensive line can't move Mike Pinnell, who's 40 years old or something. Probably they can't move him off the ball anymore because George Karloftis is setting the edge when you know the magic scheme doesn't work because your deep balls aren't getting anywhere because your little receivers are getting jammed at the line of scrimmage <laughs> your bailout is well let's just throw the ball to Tyreek in space and let him go to work and then Trent McDuffie comes in and just lays a lick on that guy I mean that's got to be pretty demoralizing for the Dolphins because that was pretty much just I thought that play just kind of summed up the entire game it's like yeah you guys have Tyreek Hill but we have a full team we can take you away. Spags is as good as anyone in the game. We have a real good defensive line, good linebackers. Man, Sneed was just out there playing with some attitude. You know, him and Tyreek probably got into it a little bit some of those years in practice, and he's just – he left it all on the field out there, man. He gave him the business. Yeah, no, Sneed, some of the clips, you know, the mic'd up stuff, you know, him talking, you know, him him playing confident. That's what it's all about. That's what you want from your cornerback. And it's only going to help him as he goes into the next matchup with another alpha receiver in Stephon Diggs, who he limited very much last time they played against each other. So that's exciting. So, yeah, defense definitely stepped up. Good game for the defense. Another dominant performance. Just just another one that kind of, you know, makes you think, can they really do this, you know, ride a, a, an elite defense to a Super Bowl championship on the backs of an offense? And I say that, Caleb, because it's party pooper time. And this party pooper segment is 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 why I was I have been doing, been doing um you know and I and I said before the playoffs started I wasn't gonna do one before the wild card game but you know hey we're we're back to we're back to the realism because we both saw it on offense uh you know the fact that they were not able to finish in the red zone at times but also the deep stuff really was concerning to me because you know it was good to see the Chiefs beat the Dolphins blitz because Dolphins blitz crap ton they blitz 56 percent of Mahomes dropbacks and Mahomes was beating it well by throwing to underneath players right that's a lot of what Rice's big plays well not all of them but some of them were, were Rice simply running crossers or just running away from the, the the depth defender that's trying to pick him up and yeah he's just going to run away from him because he's got that acceleration he's got that you know that uh that running ability but when they tried to beat the blitz throwing deep we saw what happened they were not able to do that and that's you got to be able to make teams pay for leaving the safe, for leaving the deep fields open. You have to make the teams pay, and the Chiefs have tried everything, even switching receivers because you know McColl wasn't doing any of this, right? McColl wasn't running deep patterns uh, for us. You know, they made an emphasis to instead of it being MVS, instead of it being you know Justin Watson as much. Although Justin Watson was still running deep routes this game, he was just being paid attention to more than McColl. Um, they tried to do it with someone that, you know, just someone else to see if it would work. And it just still did not. So again, the chiefs did not complete a pass over 20 air yards down the field. That to me is more concerning than what we saw in the red zone, Caleb, because, you know, the thing about not finishing in the red zone is at least you're getting to the red zone. At least you're eating up clock. At least you are maintaining a drive. At least you are gaining yards to the point where you're putting yourself in scoring position. It's a positive right then and there. Um, if they can finish some of these explosive plays that they're missing from outside the red zone, 
it would make their the need to you know the red zone stuff matter even less because they can hit big plays like we haven't seen them do all year so you know the the combination of not hitting explosive plays for touchdowns and not finishing in the red zone is a really bad combination because you got to score touchdowns one way or the other um but i i think the the fact that they can't hit these explosive plays is a little more concerning and a little more and and maybe maybe i should put it like this Caleb it's something that i think they can correct maybe easier than them getting better in the red zone cuz i don't know i don't i it's it's hard to see why they're so bad in the red zone but it's been like this all year i don't know what what did you think about their uh how they can't finish in the red zone uh on saturday yeah i mean both issues to me i mean they've just been here all season they're not going to magically go anywhere Honestly, I don't think that I just don't think they have the personnel to do anything with the deep balls. So I don't even know if they're going to yeah. be able to solve that. I mean, it's a 50 50 ball, and I don't know if that's going to ever favor the Chiefs with it just being McCole Hardman going down there. I just don't think he's physical enough to be yeah. able to go up and get the, you know, make that kind of place happen. The red zone this year is strange, man. It just seems like they have no identity when they get down there. They seem confused. Like last year, their identity was we're going to get the ball to Jarek McKinnon. We've got ways to get him the ball in the run game, to pass the ball. And when we're inside the five, we're going to try to run a little bit. This year, if they get down there, it's just been like it was this week. They run the ball on first down, and then it's going to be two passes. One bad snap from Creed definitely derailed Yeah, the drive there. And, you know, and Mahomes is at the point where I think that he recognizes they do have to be smart and take points, so he's taking fewer chances when they do get down there to the red zone. But the reason I bring that up is even as good as the defense is playing right now, all the quarterbacks left, I would say are elite quarterbacks or dynamic quarterbacks. You know, Tua was about the least dynamic quarterback outside of Mason Rudolph that they could have seen in the first round here, just because he doesn't really go out and run too much. You know, he doesn't, he's not going to go out and run, you know, obviously Flacco in there also, but I mean, Tua is another one of those guys. He's a pocket passer. He ran a little bit this week they're getting to these dynamic guys to where they're going to be going against some guys that could compete with their defense. They're going to be able to beat some perfectly covered passes that are going to be able to beat pass rush. It feel it make me feel a little bit better if they were finishing those drives in the end zone, because I just feel like historically when the chiefs have screwed up in the playoffs in the Mahomes era, it's kind of due to not being able to capitalize when they have the chances to score or they end up taking field goals when they should be trying to get into the end zone. That's just kind of, the way I see it, and I don't even think it should be as hard as they're making it. I mean, I know there's stuff they can do. I mean, mix it up. You know, maybe if you get down there, throw the ball on first down, you know, run it on second, take something a little bit shorter. I feel like sometimes they just go down there, and if they run the ball one time, and then they look to the end zone twice instead of, you know, maybe even try to play the field position inside the 10. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point um, because it does seem like play calling is a big part of it because it, there's a lot of times where – I mean, there was one drive this game where they got to the 10-yard line. They just ran it twice with Pacheco. All of a sudden, it's third and eight or seven, third and goal, you know, from the eight or seven. Um, you know, and both runs were just kind of simple, simple runs. And, you know, it's a little easier to run in the red zone from, like, the 10-yard line because there's not as much space for the defense to cover. They can play closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, you're not going to have as many opportunities for those for that explosive play from the 10 or the eight, you know. You kind of got to get closer than that um, um, to run in the red zone at times. But but it is an interesting conversation because, you know, with the way the Chiefs team is playing right now, you know, I, I hinted at this going into the postseason that, you know, there's a chance because that Bengals game, we, it was the same thing, right, that they were not finishing drives in the red zone. And and 
part of that was Mahomes not forcing things. And, and there was a great stat to kind of illustrate that from Saturday. PFF had Mahomes with seven, uh, seven, uh, seven on Saturday. He threw the ball away seven times. That was a season high. His second highest mark this year was four. And a lot of those, not all of them, but some of the those throwaways came in the red zone. And I think that does play into the fact that, you know, he doesn't want to accidentally, you know, force an interception or, or you know, force, you know, a tight window throw where, you know, any, you know, maybe a receiver is more confident in is going to grab it. But, you know, maybe maybe that, you know, he's not confident the receiver is going to be able to catch it before it gets tipped up or something. All that to say, um, you know, there is something to that you know, playing to your strengths of your team, you know, playing complimentary football. But like you just mentioned with the quarterbacks coming up, man, you're not going to be only holding, you know, teams of seven points, 10 points like you did on Saturday. Um, and so I think, I think one way or the other, they got to finish more drives. And I think, you know, the red zone would be nice, but Hey, at least those end in field goals, if they can turn those three and outs that end in, that end in, you know, miss big shots, you know, miss deep shots into, into big plays. That'd be nice too. So let's see if 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 they can do that with Justin Watson, uh, maybe getting him loose because he's a dependable receiver down the field. But you're right, the personnel is just it's just hard to overcome at this point. We've been talking about it all year, Caleb. So it's something that we've we've known and 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 we're seeing these, and they can, if they can they can if they can they can overcome. So all right, let's get to break. Before we do that, it is time for everyone's favorite little game here. Shout out the crossover grid NFL the or the immaculate grid old school game at this point. But uh, but all right, I am a player on the Chiefs and Bills. Caleb, you're going to have to guess who I am. And so I'll give you a few hints. I am someone that is a current NFL player. And I was originally drafted by the Chiefs. And then I moved to Buffalo after the Chiefs did not resign me after my rookie deal. And you know I'm currently a starter in Buffalo. That's all I'm going to give you. You got to you got to let me know who that is. We will see if you know the answer on the other side. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back here on the AP Out of Structure podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you listening. I left Caleb with some hints. He's a first-time player of this game. I stumped Stags a few times this year, but Stags does get on me sometimes for being a little too easy, Caleb. Was I a little too easy with the hints on this one? I, I thought you might have been, especially for uh, especially for the kind of film and whatnot I like to break down for the site and the and the college team that I'm a fan of. Yeah, I know that's that's the only thing I wasn't gonna say is is that would have been too big of a hint, right? To say M I Z. So, uh, yeah. so who who was it? Mitch Morse. 
Yes, sir. Center for the Bills. A forgotten man in Chiefs Kingdom, I think. I think people kind of, uh, you know, non-Missouri fans, I should say. You know, I think people kind of forget that Mitch Morse was, was a very solid part of the first four years of the Chiefs. Or uh, not first four years of the Chiefs, but his first four years here. His first four years in his NFL career. Shout out Mitch Morse. Not yeah. Sunday, though, because we are coming to Buffalo to beat the Bills. But before we get into that, um, let's answer quickly answer some questions from the people on Twitter. Shout out everyone who left a question. Mostly offseason questions, Caleb. So it'll be interesting to kind of, you know, refocus for a second. The at Walker David32 on Twitter asked, regardless of winning the Super Bowl this year, are the Chiefs likely to have a high turnover of playing staff this summer? Basically just saying, you know, Sneed, Chris Jones, Clyde are out of contract. MVS and Jawan Taylor are not really working out. I want to kind of focus in on, on, on the last part of it because we do have some other questions pertaining to the other two. But but in terms of MVS and Jawan Taylor, guys that are under contract, you know, um, coming up, uh, you know, past this year, um, but but are, you know, but people can can make an argument about their about their, uh, you know, performance so far. I don't know. How do you feel about, uh, you know, the, the potential of like Jawan Taylor? Like, do you think he can get better um, and perform up to his contract uh, to this point? And then uh, I guess you could I could ask the same about MVS, but I know the answer might not be as, as hard for that one. I think that Jawan Taylor just needs a hard reset. I think that they'll be willing to work with him through some of the issues. I think that some of the stuff with him caught the Chiefs off guard just because, like, his issue early on, I, you know, with the false starts and, like, some of the penalties, you know, it wasn't something that was, like, greatly publicized. And then it became, like, the biggest thing in the NFL for a couple of weeks. Like, you had the national media, you know, the broadcasts were on Jawan watch to see if he was false starting like a lot of offensive linemen in the NFL do. I think that just kind of messed with them mentally. As far as his game goes, though, I mean, I think that if he can cut down the penalties he's had this year in half, I think he'll be fine. I really do. I mean, and some of it's just going to be technique. He's going to have a chance to work with work with the team, though. I think he got better this year at run blocking as the season went along, though. So some progress, you know, no matter how small with him. Yeah, I think. I think he had a, a a decent game run blocking on uh, on Saturday. Um, there was a few reps where he really collapsed down um, and 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 pried open the hole on a down block. So I like that. But but yeah, I mean on the MVS part of it, you know, MVS is a guy that um, they can cut this off season and, and and save a chunk. That's not the same for Juwan, right? You know, Juwan is only you know going to be in the second year of his contract coming up. MVS will be going into his final year. And so, yeah, I, I, I think it's a fair it's fair to think MBS may not be sticking around. But to the earlier part of his question, he kind of mentioned a few other guys. Craig Denny at Dream Perch One actually asked this question, so we're just going to do it this way. If the Chiefs can only retain one player between our studs, Jerry Sneed and Chris Jones, who would you pick if you were Veach and why? I'm putting you on the spot, Caleb. We're sitting here. We don't know how the season's going to end right now. But with everything we know right now, if, if if you can only give a big deal to one or the other, who would you go with? Well, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I would probably have said Chris Jones. Like, I think a lot of people would. But with you starting to see Omenahue and Karloftis start to come out and you're starting to build confidence in the culture that they've kind of built in that defensive line room, I would say that, you know, the more cost-effective option would be to keep Snead around and then – 
you know, you're obviously losing your game changer. You know, they'd have to have Karloftis and Omena who would have to play a lot bigger. But you're also retaining, you know, possibly the best cornerback duo in the NFL, and you're bringing back one of the best secondaries overall in the NFL. And, I mean, when you see the kind of games that Snead has had this year, that stuff's rare. The fact that, you know, they had a guy like Deron Bland who just got cooked yesterday. <laughs> I mean, cooked yesterday by the Green Bay Packers, who we were telling everyone really wasn't that bad of a football team after they beat the Chiefs in Lambeau. But, you know, nevertheless, I mean, Sneed was just dominant. You know, he has been against all these guys. You go down the list of receivers he's gone against. Chris Jones is still the main catalyst for the defense. The Dolphins were still sliding towards him. A lot of the stuff the Chiefs do to rush the passer is all – I mean, most, everything they do to rush the passer is based on his alignment and how the offenses treat him. And when they don't block him or leave him one-on-one, he dominates them. Sneed will be a little bit cheaper to keep bring back, though, and – you know, yeah. he's a younger defensive back. He could probably play a little bit longer. Jones is getting up there in age. It's a risk to pay an older defensive tackle sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's the one silver lining of, of Snead not getting the love in the Pro Bowl or All-Pro voting is, you know, he he doesn't have that that card to pull on at the negotiating table uh, to an extent. And and I do think, you know, uh, the team is just going to value him and and pay him, you know, uh, a worthy contract because they can to an extent because of when you look at the rest of their defensive backfield, a lot of rookies, a lot of young guys. And Jake Wilson kind of po- points to that in his question as well, where he kind of points to um, at Jake for now on Twitter is too little att- attention being paid to the underlying Sneed versus McDuffie competition absent one would the other be as driven so i guess he's just kind of mentioning the fact that you know you you talked about it being the best one of the best cornerbacks do in the nfl if not the best cornerback duo you know is one of them as good without the other and so if the chiefs re-signs need this offseason he asks should we expect casey's plan to include a second mcduffie contract as well down the road now that's interesting because you know, maybe by the time, you know, Sneed's contract would be kind of getting to the end, you know, that's maybe when McDuffie would be getting to the point of being paid. But I don't know. Do you think there's anything to kind of, you know, one of the these guys maybe not being as good without the other if they were to play individually on a defense? I think they'd both be just about the same. I mean, I know you've seen Sneed get a lot better since he's been able to go to the outside and he's had McDuffie. McDuffie, you know, as much love as we're giving Sneed right now, and McDuffie did give up the touchdown to Hill, he is still a young, rising guy, and he is – I mean, he's a, right. he's a different kind of guy. His closing speed, his mentality for as little as he is when he gets in the box and goes to compete for the football and everything like that, I mean, there's a reason the dude's a second year and he's a first-team All-Pro. He has a lot of respect around the league already. And in some aspects, I think he's going to end up kind of being the defense's version of Patrick Mahomes somewhat moving forward into, you know, this new era. I think the only thing that complicates the McDuffie thing is that would probably be when George Karloftis' contract is up. And if you play defense end in the National Football League and you have 10 sacks every season, you're going to make quite a bit of money from someone. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, it's going to be that's those two are coming at the exact same time. And, you know, if you already have a cornerback signed, you know, it's a lot harder to say, well, let's, you know, sign the other cornerback over this defensive end that is well earned. Um, he's already getting to that point. You know, it's 12 sacks for Carl Office this year. I know it's, you know, adding in the playoff game, but, you know, 12 sacks in the second year in the league, you know, just an absolute animal. 
That's a really good point on that one. Um, the fact that McDuffie and Crofts would be coming up at the same time. But the Snead thing, you mentioned it with him being an ascending player. That's re- that's really why it feels like a, an easy answer for me if you have to choose between him or Jones. Because, you know, I love Jones. I love what he's done for this team. But it's easy to see that, you know, his best is is going to be behind him at this point. While Snead, there's, there's a, a case to be made that, you know, he still has, you know, he, he could just be entering his prime and, and have, you know, this really peak prime that you're paying for. You know, with a lot of players, you're kind of paying for things they've already done. With Steed, you could be paying kind of for, for what he could do for you in the future. So I think that's a good good call there. I think I'd agree with you. But one more question from Craig Denny, another one from him, Dream Perch 1. So we talked. you actually mentioned this earlier with, with Jarek McKinnon. He says, with no Jarek McKinnon to employ inside the 10-yard line, how do we get more touchdowns and less field goals next game and beyond? And just throws in, giving Jets age and having to save him for late in the season, do the Chiefs move on in the offseason and find a more durable, usable guy? So, yeah, we kind of talked about, you know, the red zone. They need to score more, right? We, we know that. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, would Jarek be that much of a help? Like, do you think Jet is, is really that, that key and, and being that much of a, a difference maker? A lot of the times when he scored last year, you know, it was just kind of some of those leak outs or they ran like some of that one back power late in the season with him. They did like some more fun stuff to get him in the end zone. I think, you know, at this point, you know, you got to be trying to come up with every package you can for the backup tight ends to just get someone open. I would, you know, I don't know what the deal is with Nick Allegretti in his hands, but maybe getting a little <laughs> little offensive line pass going or something. Or, you know, they've been going with the Wildcat. They've scored a couple of times the last few weeks with Pacheco as the Wildcat back, just lining up and powering it down. I mean, they're they're trying the best they can out there. It's just I don't really think it's a clear-cut answer because we haven't really seen any consistency. To the second part of the question, though, I think what the team needs, they need a basically a second starting running back because as much as we all love Pacheco and what he does, that he's perfect for running in negative degree temperatures because when you get hit by that guy, you don't want to tackle him for 60 minutes. But when he, it's because he plays like that that, you know, if they were to lose Pacheco right now, you got Clyde, and then it gets a little shady after that. You got uh, LaMichael Pirine you know, and then Eric Prince and, you know, the running back room isn't really that great. I think it's worth investing in another. I'm not saying the guys can start them for Checo. I'm saying another starting caliber back. You basically need two of them in the NFL nowadays, and especially for the kind of offense the Chiefs run. 100%. Yeah, it'd be nice for them to get a younger version of McKinnon. And honestly, it's kind of a nice free agency class, you know, for those kind of guys. Um, you know, to an extent, I mean, you know, a guy like Antonio Gibson from Washington is available. You know, he's kind of that receiving back, you know, that, that pass down back. He was a receiver in college, um, can make some big plays. You know, Rashad, Rashad Penny is still, you know, young. Uh, he's available um, as a free agent this year. You know, I mean, Devin Singletary has been doing well in Houston. Zach Moss has been doing well with the Colts. You know, guys like that that are just kind of that mid-tier back. Because there's a lot of top-tier backs of free agency this year that could drive the price down of, of some of these mid-tier backs that could be kind of cheap, nice auxiliary options. But the draft is where it would be kind of be nice for them to, to go, right? I mean, it, it feels like getting a, a day three back, maybe an early day three back, uh, you know, and kind of getting the right guy would, would, would be nice. What do you think? Draft or free agency, what would you lean towards for that position? I, I think they could be active in both. 
to be honest. I mean, you could go with another yeah. A3 kind of Pacheco guy and pick up a mid-tier free agent back who would come in and be like, you know, really good for what the Chiefs want to do. I just think they need someone that can create a little more explosion out of the backfield. I think that, you know, Pacheco, he has burst and he has those big runs, but just the way he runs all year, I think he's kind of slowed him down a little bit as the season's gone on. I think they could, you know, really benefit from having, you know, more of like a more of a speedy back in there sometimes, more of a cutter, not just a battering ram. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. No. Uh, thunder and lightning. It'd be cool to see them buy into that with with Pacheco being the thunder, obviously, and having a, even though he can hit those big plays, right? You know, Pacheco's kind of the 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 you know the workhorse back that can also pop one if if you give him the room. So, and and that's what. The Chiefs are going for is you know explosive backs. I mean, uh, you know, since the Clyde, I think you've seen that. You know, Deneric Prince, uh, you know, is also a guy that was bigger, kind of has some some speed to him. We just haven't really seen it yet. So we'll see what they do this off season, and and we are going to be breaking it down very extensively once we get to that point. Um, I'm excited for this off season. Going to be one of the more exciting off seasons, you know, in a few years uh, for the Chiefs. Just feels like, you know, with the with, with the positions they have to fix, you know, there's going to be a lot to, to be looking at. But before we get there, Caleb, because this season's not over yet, and I honestly do not think we got we, – I think we have more than a, than a week left in this season because we are looking ahead to the Bills-Buffalo. That game is on Sunday evening, 5.30 Arrowhead time kickoff. Caleb, Chiefs are coming in with two days more rest than the Bills. The pressure we kind of talked about is on Buffalo. The Chiefs are playing with confidence, you know, kind of coming off one of their best offensive performances. The defense still playing well. This is an exciting game, man. And and we saw this these two teams play earlier this year. The Bills won in Kansas City 20 to 17. Obviously, that was the game where the Chiefs almost won. Uh, you know, Kadarius Tony uh lined up off sides and it negated that huge play that would have put them up with about a minute left. So I don't know. Your initial thoughts kind of when we look at kind of on the field, you know, when you when you look at this matchup. You know, the Bills have a lot of defensive injuries, kind of similar to the, to Miami. So maybe we can start on the Bills' offensive side. You know, are you worried about seeing a Josh Allen with the quarterback run game with, you know, his mobility, you know, kind of how that can, you know, and, and James Cook with the running back. I don't know. What about the Bills' offense, you know, kind of stands out to you as, as the number one or, or just something that, you know, they need to be looking at, focusing on? Last last time they played the Bills, Tranquil was coming back from that concussion. Mm. He was coming back slowly. They limited his snaps. It just they attacked Nick Bolton a little bit in that game, especially yes. early on with James Cook and some of the quarterback runs. After that, the Bills offense didn't do anything. You know, once they kind of the Chiefs got into it, they got into kind of some of their better defensive looks. Stephon Diggs didn't do anything. You know, Gabe Davis didn't do anything. I think Kincaid and Knox, you know, they made a few plays here or there, but it just kind of became like the tail of the Chiefs falling down 14 points. And then, you know, the whole Tony thing at the end of the game. Obviously, everyone was livid about that. I don't think he's ever. I. I mean, I. I don't know. He got a couple of chances after that in the in the New England game, but you know, it was a game the Chiefs could have won off of something miraculous. But to be honest, I. I I'm almost glad they lost that game because we've seen the Chiefs get away with winning miraculous games versus the Bills, but maybe that game puts some stuff into perspective. Mm-hmm for like the coaching staff as far as when the best time to use Tranquil is going to be against teams probably a lot like the Bills, when maybe you want to have Willie Gay and Tranquil out there to match the athleticism of Allen and Cook when, you know, that. And then as far as the offense goes, 
you know, they weren't like horrible against Buffalo. They just had, you know, just this, it's the same old story, you know, just yep. lapses. But like you said, there's a lot of pressure on the Bills right now. Really, the Bills and the Ravens, they have immense amounts of pressure because they know, you know, the Chiefs offense is down right now, but it won't be that way for long. You know, this is – there's those two teams in particular, you know, this is their best chance to go get a Lombardi. And if, you know, the Bills throw this chance away and the Chiefs reload on offense again this next season, they'll be kicking themselves for a long time because this is kind of the year they had a chance. There's a lot of things about this Bills matchup that is different from the first one, right? You're talking about Wanye Morris was making his first career start the last time these two teams played. They have Donovan Smith back. You know, we don't, you know, we don't know for sure if that's, you know, if Donovan Smith's fully back to it, but he did look good, like you kind of mentioned. Again, the Dolphins edge rusher edge rushers were depleted. But it's not like Buffalo has that, you know, much of an impressive edge rushing group either, honestly. Von Miller's been a healthy scratch in recent games for them, has not been someone um, impressive for them. Isaiah Pacheco did not play last time these two teams met up. Uh, He was injured in that Packers game, and Clyde had to take the bulk of the carries in this game. Um, Yeah, there's there's a few differences. And and the other thing, too, is the Bills defense. We've kind of touched on the the injuries to an extent, but let's let's be detailed with this because it is wild. So I'll read this tweet um, showing the Dolphins' injuries, or excuse me, the Bills' injuries. Um, because it was a lot, and now I can't find it, of course. But, you know, they had four injuries in the game against uh, the Steelers on Monday. Um, four defensive injuries, two linebackers, their slot cornerback, Teron Johnson, and they already had injuries on their defense. Their whole back seven, their cornerbacks, their safeties, and linebackers, very, very banged up. Um, and so you're talking about, those positions are the ones that the Chiefs can take advantage of with routes, you know, with misdirection, um, you know, with with kind of, you know, fooling them, uh, you know, with Kelsey, you know, faking a crosser, then sitting, you know, like he did at times against Miami, faking their backup linebackers or, or messing with their backup linebackers. It really does set up for the Chiefs offense to have another day where they can get into a rhythm and kind of do what they want to do. Just because similar to Miami, you know, uh, Buffalo is not going to have playmakers in the back end. Uh, it doesn't seem like at least, you know, Micah Hyde's still playing, but he's banged up even. So yeah, it, it's, it's going to be tough for Buffalo. I don't know. I, I feel like the chiefs have a, a pretty strong advantage sitting, sitting here. And if you're Buffalo and you just saw the game that Rasheed Rice had, but you know what Travis Kelsey do, does to you every time you see him in the playoffs or in the past, it's like, you know, you're thinking right now, you're like, man, we are on a short week right now. And we just saw Rasheed Rice play the best game any receivers played all season for the Chiefs, and he looks like the real deal right now. That's got to that's going to create an issue for them at some point, I think, because you know, just I mean, Kelsey's killed them in the past. Every time they pretty much have played them outside of, and even you know this most recent game, Kelsey still was fine. But now they've got this added threat of Rice in there somewhere. And we know, you know, and we know that the the middle of their defense is beat up. It could be Slant City in the middle there with him also, though, at some point. So be interesting to see what happens. No, exactly. No, I I think you're gonna see them toy with with those linebackers. Yeah, with with stuff over the middle, you know, jet sweeps, you know, toss plays, you know, faking those you know, rollouts, but then pivoting back against and, and th- fired it back across against their middle. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the Chiefs are set up um, on offense at least. But but to finish off, we'll t- we'll 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 finish off on the Chiefs defense because 
you know, I, I, I really do think if this team is going to go all the way, it's going to take this defense playing at an elite level, you know, the entire run. And, you know, they will have to do that to an extent this game just because, you know, the Bills offense, you know, is 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 good um, and, and, and is explosive. You know, they can Josh Allen had a freaking 52 yard touchdown run, uh, you know, today where he's he basically just ostriched his way, you know, down the field and, and through defenders could have had some betting tackling effort. But dude, that dude's Cam Newton in the open field. So I know it's tough to tackle him. Um, so all that to say is I think a big key for the chiefs is, is their pass rush, obviously, but I really think the more important thing is their back end, their back seven, you know, rallying to the ball, you know, not letting, you know, big, you know, Khalil Shakur, you know, that touchdown they just had, uh, you know, the bills tonight to, to really put them up, you know, it was a missed tackle. I mean, Fitzpatrick, he takes advantage, takes it the rest of the way. Chiefs only had two missed tackles uh, against the dolphins. Dolphins had 11. I think the Chiefs' defense is 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 playing fundamentally focused right now. All that, um, I'm confident that they're going to be able to to kind of shut down the Bills, to you know enough, right? Because I think Stephon Diggs, you know, versus Jarius Sneed, that's a good matchup. Sneed's playing confident. If you take that away, Gabe Davis is hurt right now. You know, you you have a good plan for James Cook, a better one than you had you know, at the start of the game last time. And even then, I mean, just 32 is going to be playing better than than he did out the gate that first game back from injury. Last time we saw these two teams together, so I don't know. Are you pre- are, are you confident in in the Chiefs' defense versus the Bills' offense? Because I I actually am. Like I feel like they they seen these two teams enough. Like you know, I think the Chiefs' defense has a has is is set up well too. I do, and I think the team that forces the most turnovers is going to win this week. It's been kind of the tell of the Chiefs' season. It's been the tell of the Bills' season. I think we're yeah. going to figure it out. I kind of think it's going to be time we saw a Trent McDuffie interception. And I don't know about you. He's explosively fast. We never really get to see him run with the ball in the open field. I just get a feeling this might be the week we get to see, you know, maybe Allen just tries to force the ball somewhere he shouldn't. And we get to see McDuffie go get an actual interception in a big time moment and maybe take it back for a touchdown. So we'll have to see. That's a good call, honestly, because, you know, Sneed's going to be covering up digs have some safety help depending on the pass situation. They really do trust McDuffie singled up on, on another guy and, and, and Shakir has been making plays for him. Right. So Josh Allen's going to trust Khalil Shakir to, to shake McDuffie. He's not going to McDuffie picks it off. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Cause Josh is going to be playing again with that pressure. Like if, you know, maybe this is what I should be saying instead of the bills feeling all this pressure. I think Josh Allen is feeling that pressure to win this game really, you know, has an entire city, you know, needing to get back to an, a championship. I don't know. I think Josh Allen's going to be playing with a lot of weight on his shoulders, and and it's going to be good and a bad thing. And 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 the Chiefs just need to take advantage of the times. That's a bad thing, like you're saying, when he forces a throw or when he when he tries to extend a play, and and they can come up with a strip. That's going to be key. I like I like that as a, as kind of our fi- final touching point. There is that that's the that's the key. You know, maybe forcing a few turnovers to Josh Allen, and uh, and and taking advantage of there. But is there any final points you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, Chiefs Bills again Sunday evening. Primetime matchup, man. I, you know, I, I think this is probably the best, you know, the, the best AFC matchup you can ask for with the history these two teams have, the stakes, it being in Buffalo finally. You know, I think people are tired of it being an arrowhead. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, I'm not tired of it being an arrowhead. Uh, but yeah, any, any final touches on this big matchup? Yeah, they're going to be, I mean, Buffalo is going to be fired up. They're going to be ready for this one. But, you know, the Chiefs are going to come in. I think they're going to be composed and ready to go. They know what they are. They know what they're good at. And like you said, man, they might just be able to go out there and let it, you know, let it fly. See what happens. Just let the chips fall. 
Yes, sir. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing. To, to extend the gambling talk, you know, we're playing with house money a little bit in terms of a franchise. The Bills are not. The Bills want to get back. The Chiefs have been there, done that. But you don't want to have that mentality going in because you'd love to spoil their season just as much as you'd love to, uh, you know, want to win yours. So shout out the Chiefs. Let's do it this weekend. Get to the AFC Championship for what would be a I, – I, is it sixth consecutive season? Is it would it be seventh? I I I don't even know. Uh, 2018, 2019, 20, 21, 22, 23, it'd be six. So, uh, Chiefs are looking for the sixth consecutive AFC championship. Appreciate y'all listening. Appreciate y'all joining. Make sure you check out the AP Film Room on YouTube. We'll be breaking down the X's and O's from Chiefs um, on their latest win against the Dolphins coming up this week. Both of us will be having stuff leading up to the game, previewing that in the big matchup. And so until the next time we talk to y'all, go Chiefs. Hey there, it's Pete Sweeney from Arrowhead Pride, and I'm excited to announce a new element of the Arrowhead Pride experience for diehard Chiefs fans. It's our brand new newsletter, Arrowhead Pride Premier. Arrowhead Pride Premier is a newsletter delivered to your inbox twice a week from me. For $50, you'll get an annual subscription packed with insider coverage from yours truly and new in-depth analysis from voices around Kansas City. It's all about what I'm seeing and hearing around the team. During the season, we'll deliver a newsletter ahead of each game to get ready for Sunday and a newsletter after after each game to unpack exactly what happened. Subscribe to Arrowhead Pride premiere today at arrowheadpride.com slash subscribe.